Welcome everyone. We're excited to share some country wisdom with you. King Solomon had a thing or two to say about the path to wisdom. In Proverbs 4, he wrote, Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Keep straight the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Join us now for Country Wisdom. I've just got to share with you directly. I heard this young lady doing a, a sermon a while back, The Psychopath Within. What? The Psychopath Within. So I looked around for a setting, a location. I found this old broken down barn, broken down fences, and it seemed, Janice, really apropos to the first part of your story. I've got to hear this. I like the young lady part. You can you can <laughs> introduce me like that anytime you Heavy want. Heavier on the emphasis. Not yeah. that they're going to buy that. Okay. <laughs> Um, yes, it was a book I read uh, that I was basing that on, and actually I think it was The Psychopath Inside. A man who studied uh, the brains, he literally was studying the brains of serial killers and doing MRI scans, seeing how they thought, you know, what was going on, recognizing areas of their brains that did not light up the way normal people's brains do, non-serial killers. And one day he was going through all of these and he found one, he got to where he could just see a brain scan and he knew that's one of his test subjects versus all of the control subjects, people now, he worked with. Lighting up, the synapses weren't firing. You can test the synapses and nothing right. going across. Right. <laughs> uh, and he saw one and he went, okay, that's one of the psychopaths, but it wasn't labeled. And he's really getting on his assistant going, okay, find out whose this is. It doesn't have a name on it. Well, it turned out it was his. And he's going, okay, I'm not a serial killer. But he began looking at ways of thinking at his relationships and recognizing the tendencies he had and then saying, well, if my brain is programmed where I could just as easily have been one of the psychopaths that I'm studying, why am I not? And he realized part of it is the home he was raised in. He was raised in a stable home. He's going, what if I hadn't had that stability? Would I have ended up like them? And he was looking at the areas of your life that can counteract the brain that you were born with. And I've recognized that I, I knew my mother very well, as you might imagine. I grew up with her. And I was programmed to be like her. I'm sure in utero it was happening because she was always anxious. She, was, she had anxiety and depression and she treated it all with prescription drugs. She had multiple doctors who didn't know that the others existed and always had a cupboard full of tranquilizers and pain pills and, and she just functioned like that. So everybody's writing scripts for her on the same thing. Yes, and I was raised you know, with that kind of thinking in the home, but none of it showed outside the home. I was a proper little liar because you would never have talked about the, the wailing fight that had happened the night before. She and my dad would really get into it. Um, I've got a little scar up, thankfully it's my bangs cover it, where in one fight, she had hurled an egg beater at my dad 
and, and her aim was off a little bit and it hit me. I think I was about four. Uh, the only good thing is that my scalp is split open, blood, you know, you know, a scalp bleeds. But it ended the fight because they had to take me to the ER and get stitches. And by the time that was all over, I think they'd forgotten what they were fighting about. I remember one night, uh, it was a Saturday night because I believe we were watching Lawrence Welk. That was my dad's favorite show when I was a little girl. And my mom just walked in and announced that she had taken a whole bottle of whatever it was, meprobamate, something like that. And she just stood there looking at my dad and said, what are you gonna do about it? Basically, you know, it was up to him to prove, he, did he love her enough wow. to actually save her life? Uh, and that wasn't the only time. Um, on a date in high school one time, I'm, I'm pathologically punctual. So when I told my mom we'll be home at 11, she knew I would be home at 11. And I'm certain she timed it. So when I came in, the first thing I did was go back to her bedroom and, to tell her I was home. And I had to come out and get my boyfriend to carry my semi-conscious mother to the hospital to have her stomach pumped because oh. she had tried once again. Uh, and at that time, my dad was dying of cancer. I was still, I think I was a sophomore when he was diagnosed. And we had moved my grandmother in with us because she was losing her mind. My mom keeps trying to kill herself. My dad's dying, you know. But nobody outside the family would have known what kind of chaos was going inside the home. There was no stability there. As a little girl, when I would walk home from school, there was a, a certain corner from Acacia Street onto Central where I could look down and I could see my house. And my stomach would nod up because it was which mother was going to meet me at the door that day. Was it going to be a good day or would it be one of her bad days? So there's trauma in your heart and mind every single day of your life. Right. School was a refuge. Uh, you know, you look back on your life and I realize God always had a particular teacher or the parents of friends, someone that, that I always had that was that bit of stability. Um, I always volunteered for things at school and at church, and uh, I think a lot of that was to escape home. Wow, I, many of us can't even imagine that kind of home, and probably most can, unfortunately. Today's, most can. I think more than we would know. Yeah, I, I had a, a good life that way, but this is amazing. That How long did this keep on? Uh, well, Dad died my senior year of high school. Um, Mom, at that point, not long after she sold uh, the home I'd grown up in, uh, moved into something smaller with my grandmother, who was still with us. Uh, but at least I was off and independent at that point. You've got all these pills around. You've got a terrible life. Did you ever think of... Uh... Oh, yes. <laughs> Um, the genetic curse on my mother's side, because not only my mom, but her father also had issues with depression and anxiety. Uh, and, and I know from stories, so I know it came from her side. Um, I was a teenager and I was in my mother's dressing room. Uh, you know, when you're a teenager, things that nowadays you might just go, ah, you know, that's not even gonna bother you next week. I think I hadn't done well on a test and there was a boy that I was desperately in love with who, you know, wouldn't even look at me that day, something along those lines. But I 
remember distinctly standing in front of the cupboard where she kept all of her Darvon and meprobamate and a number of other things, codeine, you know, all kinds of bottles. Uh, she got them wholesale using my dad's medical license. And... Because uh, so he's a felon also, <laughs> in reality. <laughs> things were looser back then. Uh, but I was standing there trying to figure out, I was wondering well, how much, what combination, what would it take to just make the pain go away? Um, and I think a lot of people, there's been a, a horrible rise in suicide. And a lot of those poor people, they're not thinking, you know, I, I'm going to kill myself and show everyone. It's in that moment, you can't see beyond the blackness that you're enveloped in. And I just wanted the pain to go away. And to this day, I don't know why I shut the doors. You know, now I, I'm pretty sure it was my angel. I don't recall consciously deciding, no, Janice, you can't do that. Um, but I didn't. Nowadays, you have so many teen suicides. And I realized how easily I could have been one. But there was always a thread, sometimes no more than a thread, of, of the Lord being there. Now, I don't have a Damascus Road conversion experience. In fact, I think one of the first times I was ever asked to give my testimony, uh, I did what I do too often. I said yes and then panicked later because I'm thinking, what can I say? What kind of testimony? What do I have? I even called my daughter and I said, I have to give te my testimony tomorrow morning. What am I going to say? I'm so vanilla. Our family is just so vanilla. And <laughs> she laughed. Our daughter is Ethiopian. You got to keep this visual in mind. And she said, vanilla? She goes, mom, at the very least, our family is chocolate ripple. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, maybe I'm, we're not as bland as I think. Um, but I've heard you say many times that I don't have much of a testimony, and I'm sitting here listening to this. Thing. You had trauma. I mean, your whole your whole early life it was just one mix of trauma. It was, but at the time, that's what I knew. You know, it's not until you really look at other families and you go, "Oh, in other families, mom doesn't disappear for a few weeks, and later you find out." Usually from my sister. I don't know how Bonnie always knew what was happening. She was older than I was, and. And it was kind of, well, sooner or later, Bonnie will tell me what's going on. And you would find out, now we would call it rehab. Uh, but back then it was, dad would put mom in a sanitarium, is what they called it, to dry out. And then when she came home, for a while, it would be wonderful. My mother was intelligent. She was, you think I have a sense of humor. My mom was, could be hysterical. She was so witty. And, and she would be a real person, you know, for a long time. But then she didn't have the anchor of the Lord. She could quote scripture better than I can ever hope to. You know, I'm always going, oh, what's, what's that text about this? You know, and then finally someone will save me and say, oh, that's, that's this. Uh, I can't remember what those texts are. Mom could quote it, but it never went beyond her head. Uh, she never actually knew God. Got in her heart. And, you know, I might not be able to remember my favorite text. I can quote it, but I can't remember what book and chapter. Um, but I can't get out of bed in the morning without the Lord there. Uh, that is the solid foundation.
The rest of the world can be shaking and falling apart, but there's part of the world right under my feet that isn't moving. So this lady who, who really didn't have much of a testimony in your, <laughs> your words, really does have an amazing testimony of God leading in your life and, and saving you probably from suicide too. Yes, uh, it's just been so incremental that you don't notice. Uh, you know, it, it's not like Paul. I mean, how do you, you don't get more dramatic than Paul getting, you know, knocked off his donkey. He's blinded and, and yet he knows somehow that's God talking to me. And he is not the same person afterwards. Uh, I don't have a moment that I can go back to and say, here, this is when I was converted. It's, it's been that gradual process where you actually have to look back and you have to say, you know, anyone who knew me when I was an adolescent, uh, they would never have predicted, oh yeah, Janice is gonna grow up to be a pillar of the church, to be someone that other people actually want to listen to, happily married, knowing the Lord. Yeah, that's where she's headed. So somewhere there was a psychopath inside, but God began altering your DNA, right? He certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> I think of, you know, I couldn't help but think of Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Lord says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God has an expected end for you. He has an expected end for everybody, doesn't he? Yes, he does. I just praise God that you're here with me today. And, you know, God began working on you in amazing ways. We're going to hear more of that part of it in a moment. Yes, because I can tell you one person who for certain made that change in me. Hey, Janice, how are you doing? Hey, you wrote another book. I did. Had a burden on my heart and God helped me get it done. So, The Plan of Love. What's it about? Well, it's really about God in eternity. Saw everything that was going to happen here. And His amazing love, He says, I'm going to take care of the problem. I'm going to take care of the situation by giving my own life. He did all that. But we've been lied to so much, we don't see what God has planned for us, what God is doing for us. Matter of fact, the angel came down to Mary and said, uh, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their, from sin. their sins. Notice it wasn't in, but from. Where can people get the book? Hey, I'm glad you asked. Folks, if you'd like your own personal copy, log on to TalkingDonkeyInternational.org. And oh, please, if you would, send us a donation of $12. Or more. Or more. And uh, we'll get you the book, and I'll be happy to sign it for you, too. Thank you so much. Janice, I love the continuation of those verses in Jeremiah 29. Then shall ye call upon me, says the Lord. Ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Ye shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart, and I will be found of you. I love that too because um, I don't even know at what point I began really seeking him with all my heart. I know how important he is now. Um, and I know that one person that he put in my life, because you know, he often is guiding you not with, you know, angelic, you know, heavenly angels, but people in your life that I think he puts there on purpose, if you'll open your eyes and notice them. And after one of the worst times in my life, you know, the, when my dad finally died of cancer on April Fool's Day, uh, you would think, you know, 
now what? And I was thinking that too. And purely out of desperation, I applied to work at a Christian summer camp. Mind you, I did not like kids. I had never babysat in my life. I never wanted children. And so to go and work at a summer camp, which is kind of filled with kids, but I knew that I could get a scholarship and I needed that scholarship. So I applied to work there and Steve was the boys director, assistant director, something like that. He did all the scheduling. And if you had any discipline problems with your cabin or if any staff needed a talking to, it was Steve. And so I had gone in when I got the job and I had said, look, I will be a counselor if you get really desperate, but otherwise I'll do anything else. I would work in the kitchen, I'd do maintenance, but they discovered fairly quickly that I like people. I've got good people skills and, uh, and a good command of the English language. Sounded really nice on the phone. English major. Yes. And so I often worked in the office and his desk was in the same room. Well, he was always so responsible, so businesslike, focused on what needed to be done. And I thought, you know, he's a really nice guy, but he's kind of buttoned down. And he thought, you know, she's a really nice girl, you know, really smart. Wait, 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 for the younger audience, you've got to explain button down. Oh, collars that always had little buttons to keep the collar down and in place. And Steve was always, you know. Prim and proper. Yes, proper, yes. Business-like, responsible, uber-responsible. And he thought, he recognized that I'm intelligent, I'm fun to be around, <laughs> but literally too crazy to ever really date. That's not what he was looking for. He was headed to medical school. He didn't even want a relationship. This was the psychopath inside. <laughs> well, he was getting little glimpses of her, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, over months, uh, not only working together all summer, but we went to the same college. Uh, he was a senior chemistry major. I was a freshman English major, literally opposite sides of the campus. And yet, weirdly, we kept running into each other. And, you know, sometimes God has to put something in front of you and keep saying, um, here, here, you know, did you, did you notice what I'm trying to give you here? And you finally stop and think, okay, he's not like anyone I've ever dated before. Um, but that's not such a bad thing. And he had these qualities. There was no one that didn't respect Steve, that didn't, you know, know recognize he's a good guy, a genuinely good guy and an actual adult male. <laughs> was God and trying to drop an anchor in your life? Is that I, I think so. I have no idea why God inflicted me on him. That would be another story. And his mother, trust me, was horrified when he brought me home. Uh, but somehow it has worked. And he, he is just a perfect partner for me. He kind of keeps me from bouncing all over and, and from getting way out of, out of line. <laughs> he is a dedicated Christian. Uh, when I walk into the kitchen in the mornings, you know, every morning there he is with his Bible. Uh, I am hit or miss with that because I don't have the discipline he has, but he generally doesn't walk out of the house without having spent some time with the Lord. And that's how he has put up with me low these many years. Uh, but he's also provided, you know, the guidance. He has, he has literally 
given me the stability, the anchor to let me bloom. And, you know, my mom didn't have that. Maybe if she had had a better partner, someone who was connected to the Lord. My dad, the only time I, I know that he ever said the word God, it was followed by expletives, you know, uh, that you shouldn't repeat. Um, I didn't grow up with my parents taking me to church. It was my grandmother who lived next door. Uh, so never underestimate the power of a godly grandmother. Um, but at this point in my life, when I met him, my grandmother, uh, we had had to move her in with us because she kept accidentally setting her house on fire. Uh, so God put this godly man right in my path and I eventually wised up and paid attention. So he, he really used Steve to begin speaking to you to draw you out of that, that old mindset, that old direction. Right, life. right. When you are partnering with someone who has genuine faith, it can't help but rub off. And, you know, I had faith, but it was, it was tiny, you know, it was there, but it, it needed to be, you know, breathed on, give it some oxygen. Um, and that's one thing that he has provided for the whole family too, because our kids feel the same way. Uh, one of our sons one time said, you know, when dad prays, you actually know he means it. He's not just going through the motions. So he's had that effect on the kids too, of growing up with a godly father. Now you came out of what I would call really kind of a, a living hell <laughs> in, in your life. Yeah. Tell me though what it was like in this growing process. How did you see changes in your life and how did God really come into your life to where you are today? Well, another big life-changing experience was uh, having our first child, Colin. Uh, you remember I said I didn't like kids, I never babysat, I didn't want children. I was terrified because I knew that children ruin your life. And I knew it because my mother was always telling us that. You know, she could have been something, but she got married and had children. You know, I don't know how many times uh, she flat out told me I was no daughter of hers because I wasn't meeting her expectations. Um, and I was terrified. And after Colin, I had a period of, you, you hear about postpartum blues, it was postpartum black. In fact, Steve, when I finally admitted to him that I'm not doing as well as you think I'm doing, uh, he was in his surgery residency, he was hardly ever home. And when he was, I'm a good enough actress, I could fake it, you know, for the 12 hours he might be home. Uh, and finally, when I realized the suicidal thoughts were seeming to make sense, they were starting to sound reasonable. And I thought, I can't do that to the baby though. I didn't love the baby. I was going through motions like a robot as if you'd handed me an infant and said, here, could you take care of this for a while? But I was so afraid of Colin because I thought, he's gonna grow up and hate me the way I hate my mother. You know, none, my brother, my sister and I, we all got to the point where we just cut mom off. Absolutely no relationship. And I was terrified that that, how could I possibly be a mom? What well, I didn't know how to be. Uh, but I also hadn't reckoned with the love God gives you. And I think that is when I really began to experience what God feels for me. 
and boy, does that make a difference. Wow, so that was really kind of a, a time in your life when God really then yeah. impacted your life. Yeah. When you realize, I knew, began to know that Steve would do anything for me. And with Colin, it was like, well, I know I'd do anything for him. You know, once I got over the depression, it was like, oh yeah, nobody could take that baby from me now. I would give my life. And you realize that is how God looks at me. Janice, I just really appreciate you sharing this story. I know it's probably a little tough for you. I can see, oh, it. I would I can rather, see it in your face. Yeah, <laughs> you kept saying, we need to do your story. And I kept saying, no, no, we don't. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Huh? Thank you. There's a storm coming. That means any minute now my grandchildren will start appearing. The little ones first, but the older ones won't be far behind. All of them scrambling for the safety of grandma's lap. They know their grandmother isn't afraid of any storm. And soon one of them is bound to ask to hear it again. The story of the great storm. How God decided to rid his world of evil. How he decided to send the rain. And how he asked Grandpa Noah to build a boat. Hey Janice, how are you doing? Hey, you wrote another book. I did. Had a burden on my heart and God helped me get it done. So, The Plan of Love, what's it about? Well, it's really about God in eternity. Saw everything that was going to happen here and His amazing love, He says, I'm going to take care of the problem. I'm going to take care of the situation by giving my own life. He did all that, but we've been lied to so much we don't see what God has planned for us, what God is doing for us. Matter of fact, the angel came down to Mary and said, uh, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their, their sins. sins. Notice it wasn't in, but from. Where can people get the book? Hey, I'm glad you asked. Folks, if you'd like your own personal copy, log on to TalkingDonkeyInternational.org. And oh, please, if you would, send us a donation of $12. Or more. Or more. And uh, we'll get you the book, and I'll be happy to sign it for you, too. Thank you so much. You know, it's exciting to me because I look at what God did for this young woman who heard a cry to him. He came and answered the call. He certainly did. He always answers your call. He does. Even if you're not, if you're barely calling, it's just a little squeak inside. And I know that there's someone out there, you might be one, who is calling out because you recognize maybe you've never felt loved. Maybe you don't feel like you are lovable and certainly you don't know how to genuinely love. That was me. And the best decision I ever made was to ask God to come in and begin to change that, to fill those holes, to start repairing the brokenness inside so that I had something to actually give. Make that decision today if you haven't already.
Thank you for watching. Join us again for another exciting country wisdom. See you next time. <laughs>